Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Great. Um, Hopefully you were here last week. If not, you might not have a clue what's going on. We're in the midst of a sermon series on fruitfulness in the front line. So what does it look like for us to be fruitful as Christians in the front line where we work, where we spend most of our time? Um, For a lot of us, that will be our workplace. For some of us, it might be our home. It might be our college, our school, um, whatever. So last week, Hannah led us in reflecting on what it was to model godly character in that space. So we talked a bit about fruit of the spirit and all sorts of things like that if you missed it I'd really recommend going back and listening to it it's well worth it and it kind of um this whole series really builds up and each of each week kind of adds more to the picture layers and layers so um don't miss out on that so today we are starting off um our second of the six m's which is making good work what else does that mean? Hopefully, by the end of the morning, we'll have a sense of what it means. Um, I think on a Sunday, it's always nice to start with a little bit of social time. I'm sorry if you're here and you're an introvert, or you came and you're in the middle of an argument. Um, but I would love for you to turn to the person next to you and uh, ask them this question. Who do you work for? Who do you work for? Right. For some of us, that's going to be really easy to answer, isn't it? It might be the NHS. It might be a school. It might be a person, Mr. David Carr. I know that he uh, has the old employee here. Um, But for others of us, that might be really tricky. It might even be that the definition of work might feel tricky. We might want to say, actually, I don't know that I do work, like I said to Sim. Perhaps because we're between employment or um, we're students or a stay-at-home parent. Um, So I was encouraged when I saw the definition by Mark Green, who wrote, literally wrote the book on what we're doing. He um, defines work as anything we do that isn't rest or recreation. Now, unless you are living some quite impressive life, um, I pretty much guarantee that most of us in this room have some kind of work that we're doing. So with that in mind, uh, let me introduce you to my bosses. Um, They are utterly unreasonable. They have no sense of appropriate hours. They are constantly asking me to do more, but they are really rather cute. Um, I am currently on maternity leave. Um, So apart from a little bit of freelance work, uh, really, I work full-time for my two daughters. Uh, So my work looks like running around parks, uh, wiping bottoms, um, dealing with tantrums, cooking meals, reading books, and just generally being um, needed at all times. (laughs) Who do you work for? The more that you think about this question, actually, the more complex it can become. So it might be that we name our company, our line manager, our team. Maybe it's our mortgage company. Maybe really the person we work for is our mortgage company because we have to earn the money to keep the house to keep our family safe. Or it might be our family. Or it might be our reputation, our legacy. It might be our sanity. (laughs) Who we work for has a massive impact on how we work. 
I've had some amazing bosses in my time and going to work has felt like a genuine treat. But I've also had some contexts where work has diminished my sense of well-being and right down to my core, my sense of self. A good boss makes work enjoyable. They provide vision, they provide purpose, they spur us onwards, they support us through. A bad boss makes work unsustainable, saps our enthusiasm and drains our life. Who we work for matters. And the Bible has something to say to us as Christians about who it is that we really work for. So let's have a read of one of our two passages this morning. It's from um, Colossians. Colossians 3, 17, four, um, 17 to 4 verse 1. It says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That's my favourite part of this. Um, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. There's a lot in this passage that we could pick out if we had time. I want to acknowledge that it's a bit complicated. Any passage that seems to kind of have a nod at slavery, um, we might need to take a moment to pause and figure out if if it looks if it's saying what it looks like it is on the surface. We don't have a lot of time to do that today. If you're intrigued by the passage, I do encourage you to go and um, have a look at more of that. What, what the passage is really saying um, is, is better than it sometimes looks at first glance. So if you saw, heard some of that and were a bit worried, um, it's okay. God isn't down with us having slaves. Um, just want to say that quickly. But what he is saying, the most important thing that we're going to draw out today from that passage is... Who do you work for? Well, here it is. This is what the passage says. If you'd call yourself a Christian, you work for Jesus. Jesus is boss. Whatever your work circumstances, whether they're good, whether they're bad, whether they're just, whether they're unjust, whether you're enjoying them, whether you're hating them, whether you're working at home, whether you're working away, Jesus is your boss. Now we know that Even as Christians, our earthly bosses still exist. I'm sorry if you were hoping that after this sermon you'd go into work tomorrow and magically your boss and your job description had disappeared and Jesus was hanging out there. It could happen. Um, I'm not going to say it won't, but uh, it's unlikely. We do still have to work for our line managers, but the game changes because ultimately our eyes are fixed somewhere else. We know our ultimate accountability, our ultimate encouragement, our ultimate source of vision, our ultimate source of um, energy is our real boss, is Jesus. We have a boss who not only has the vision and power to change the world, but loves so deeply his employees, you, that he died for them. I don't know about you, I've never had a line manager that would do that. So when we know that Christ is our boss, the whole game changes. And we're going to look a little bit about why. And here's the first reason, because when Jesus is boss, we are reminded that work is actually good. 
Now, I don't know about you, we all have bad days. It's not beautiful outside today. Have you ever had those days where everything is going wrong? It's chucking down with rain. Every task you do is going wrong. You've got more and more things piling up. Um, the kids are just screaming if you're at home. Um, you've broken things, you're exhausted, and you've just woken up in a really bad mood. I don't know how you cope with that, but this is my technique. I have a little place I go to in my head. Um, I shut my eyes for a second, and I go far, far away. So um, come with me a minute. Close your eyes, and let's go together. I like to, uh, I close my eyes and I, I imagine I'm lying down and I look up at the sky and it's a bright, deep topaz blue. The sun is blazing and I can feel the warmth over every part of me. And as I'm lying in that boiling hot sunshine, I can just hear the pool lapping gently against the side of the pool. And occasionally you can hear the rustle of palm trees in the breeze and the odd cricket. And in my hand is a nice, cool drink. And I just think, oh. I want to be there. That's where I want to go. That's not bad, is it? Does anyone else want to be there right now? Oh, some, and the, kids, the kids are quiet. If, um, you know, sometimes it can feel like work's the enemy, right? Live for the weekend, long for the holidays. Just survive work for long enough to get a break. If only I could win the lottery and then I could chuck in work, travel the world and relax. One day, the kids will be old enough that I can just sit down and chill out. Maybe. One day, frankly, for a lot of us, probably when we're 80, we'll be able to retire. And finally, we can travel the globe and do all those things we always dreamed of. If we could just get rid of work. Or maybe if we're younger, we're thinking, when I leave school, if I play this right, then I could maybe become really famous. And my job could just be posting photos of myself at parties on Instagram. That could be the dream. If we could just escape work, then life would be okay. Now, as Christians, maybe we've bought into the idea that work came into the world as part of the fall. If you look in Genesis, um, when Adam and Eve mess everything up, um, that Jesus, um, God curses Adam and Eve, doesn't he? And he says, um, you'll be cursed to toil. Your labour will be toil. And so maybe we think that um, we just have to survive this. We're miserably cursed until Jesus comes back and then at last we can finally put our feet up. Now, if you think that's what the Bible teaches you and you've been holding out for that eternal rest, um, I'm really sorry, I've got some bad news. You were created to work. Let's go back to the beginning. Here's what it says in Genesis 1. And what, uh, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is a small paraphrase. You might notice there's some words missing. And God said, and God said, and God said, then God said, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We were created in the image of a working and resting creator God. We were created to create, produce to produce. On the sixth day when God created human beings, he didn't say, 
take a load off, chill out, enjoy the garden. He gave us jobs. We named the animals. We stewarded the garden. We were fruitful. We were created to work. And I think one of the most powerful ways of actually recognising this need in ourselves is, um, is looking at what happens when it's taken away from us. I wonder if you've ever had a period perhaps of illness or a period of time where you found you couldn't work. Um, possibly more than for a couple of hours when the daytime TV still feels like a good idea, but maybe for days, maybe for weeks, maybe for a long, long time. I wonder if it felt as good as you thought it might have done when you were working. But actually, I think what we find is when we as human beings deprive ourselves or are deprived of work, our souls, our minds, our bodies, and even our relationships start to stagnate. Take a look at Love Island. It's not pretty. We were created to rest, yes. But we were not created to only rest. We were created to work. So when the curse of the fall came into the world, it didn't introduce work. It made it a whole lot harder. Now, our mandate to steward creation and to tend to it and to be fruitful actually didn't end when we were cast out of the garden. It got harder and it changed. And at last, when Jesus came, our job description was renewed. So in Eden, we were called to steward perfect creation. But creation is now broken. It's overgrown, it's tangled, it's dark, it's thorny. And God is calling us again to join him in working to make it new again. We still have a God-given job to do. In his book, Mark Green suggests that the godly call to work might look like the following. It might be creating order, generating provision, bringing joy or creating beauty. Now, I'm, I'm pretty certain you probably didn't bring your job description to church this morning. I hope not. That would be a weird thing to do. Bring your Bible. Um, but actually, if you look at this list, I wonder if you can find the spaces where how you spend your days every day could do these things. Uh, a lot of people have contributed to um, me being able to stand here today. The many, many baristas of Hampshire have, uh, pro have generated provision and brought a significant amount of joy in the writing of this talk as they brought me good coffee. Um, the faithful hard workers of Aldi who bring order in that sheer chaos to enable me to get the shopping done so that I could have enough breathing space for a few minutes to think about this. The cartoonists who create Hey Dougie, who bring a lot of joy in our household, but also make the space for me to do all sorts of things like creating order or generating provision for the kids. Actually, Sometimes in the Christian world, it can feel like um, there's easy jobs to justify doing and hard jobs to justify doing. There's your classic Christian vocations, leading a church, being a youth worker, maybe teaching, maybe being a doctor. And they can feel really worthy in the kingdom of God, can't they? But what about the other jobs? The ones that don't fit? Those of us who go to work and kind of feel a little bit like we have to turn up on church having done some volunteering in order to justify our own existence. We think maybe our jobs aren't quite worthy of the kingdom of God. Maybe they don't contribute anything to the kingdom of God. We can feel like we're spending our days earning money, but not impacting the world or the future in any way at all. But you know what? There is no employment hierarchy in the kingdom of heaven. There are no second-class citizens in the church. God has business to do in Aldi as much as he does in the Freedom Church offices. 
Um, and I didn't ask Lottie this, but um, sorry, Lottie, I'm going to out you. Is that okay? Lottie was sharing earlier this week um, a conversation she'd happened to have in the shop that had then come round and come up with someone else in church, a complete stranger who doesn't know God or doesn't, isn't, wouldn't call themselves a Christian necessarily. He had a conversation with Lottie and was remembering it with another person in the church. A throwaway conversation in a shop that could change someone's life. Ultimately, wherever we find ourselves, our job is the same under Jesus. Our work is designed to create a context for human flourishing. Eden was the perfect context for human flourishing. Heaven will be the perfect context for human flourishing. Creation is meant to be a context for human flourishing. We make spaces where people thrive. Sometimes that's by doing glamorous big things like talking in the front of church or uh, winning an account at work or seeing your students ace their exams. But usually it's by doing the small things every day. It's by very patiently and kindly answering the phone for the thousandth time today to talk to that stressed out person and ask them, have you tried turning it off and on again? It's going into the offices when no one else is there as the cleaner to tidy up the mess from the day before that people don't ever seem that grateful for you doing, but to create a space where other people can work well. Whatever your front line, whatever your work or your call as a Christian, our call is to do work that doesn't just earn money, it doesn't just complete a task, but it creates a space where human beings and creation flourish as they were always intended to do. Jesus is our boss. Our work is good. And so our call as Christians is to do good work. Dorothy Sayers, um, I stole this quote from Tim. He put it in the, uh, in, the news, in the monthly news email this month, and it's so good that I stole it. Dorothy Sayers said this in 1942. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. I don't think we've got loads of table makers in the church. There might be a few. Shout out to you if you're here. Um, but here's a paraphrase. The very fast first demand that your religion makes upon you is that as a doctor, you should give good care. As a manager, you should manage well. As a barista, this is important, you should make good coffee. As a builder, you should build quality houses. As a teacher, you should nurture your students. As a carer, you should care with kindness and goodness. As a church leader, you should lead your church well. Why? Well, because work is worship and work is mission. Now, getting up at the crack of dawn every day to sit in traffic and then spend your day serving stressed out, grumpy customers in Costa probably isn't what we first think of when we think of worship. It doesn't sound quite as fun, does it, as coming into this room and listening to some nice music. But actually, the reality is that God could have managed creation very well by himself. He chose not to. He chose to share the work with us, to make a space where we could relate to him as we worked. The original purpose of work was to do it in relationship with God. Where we, he created a space for us where we could communicate our love for him by practically responding to what he had created. And that's still the case. So first and foremost, with Jesus, our employer, the attitude and quality of our work communicates something back to him. 
Our work is an opportunity to shout of our love to him, to tell him that we know who he is. And especially true, that's true in the bits of work that no one else is going to see and that cost us the, work, the most. In the places where the world would say, do you know what? It's all right if you don't try that hard there. It doesn't matter that much. Cut a corner. No one will know. Why bother trying? The reality is, as Christians, we can choose in those moments to joyfully lean into that labour, filling it with meaning, knowing that actually someone does see, someone does care, and it's our opportunity to express how we feel about God in those unseen moments. Our work is worship. And our work is mission. The irritating reality is even those things that we think no one's going to see, sooner or later someone notices. And actually, what do they see when they do? The manner and quality of our work shouts loud, especially as Christians. I wonder what it would say about Christians if, um, if the Christian builder built expensive houses that fell down after five years. Or the office worker um, who claimed to be a Christian and talked all about their time at church on Sunday was the one who never cleared up, never made the coffee, and was always late. But instead, what if we were the kind of people whose colleagues, whose fellow parents, fellow students, fellow golf buddies, whatever, said, I can't help but notice that you seem to care more. When everyone else leaves their cups in the meeting room, you pick them up every time. When everyone else cuts a corner in that area of work, why don't you? When everyone else snipes about the very annoying clients or students, you always speak well of them. Why? We live to make people ask questions. We live to make people slightly confused. Because in their confusion, that's when they might spy something they hadn't noticed before. When we work faithfully and well, knowing in our hearts it's for God, people get interested. And when people get interested, God changes lives. And that is not a bad thing to see at work, right? (laughs) The quality of how we work and what we produce shouts about the qualities of the worker who produced us. God is our boss. Work is good. Our work is mission. Our work is worship. So let's do good work. Now, I couldn't end this without a quick shout out to people like me because this talk really stressed me out. Um, There are people here who will be feeling inspired and invigorated um, about hearing this. There are people here who will be feeling rightfully challenged to uh, get off their bums a little bit. But there will also be people here who will just right now be feeling horrific. They'll be feeling overwhelmed, exhausted and stressed out because they are already total work perfectionists. They're already trying their hardest. And all this is telling them is, do you know what? Jesus is watching you too. (laughs) And I wanted to take a moment to, um, to make sure that that wasn't what I had said accidentally. Because that is not the message of what the Bible has to say about work. Work in the Bible comes from the cross. It comes from grace. It comes from love. It comes from a relationship with a creator God who enjoys us, who delights in us, and who loves us. If God wanted it doing perfectly, he would have done it himself. In the world, good work is the shiniest. It's the best. It's the one that wins the award. It's the one that looks best on Instagram. That's what the definition of good work is. From that passage in the beginning... What God's definition of good work is, with your whole heart, faithfully, obediently, 
wholeheartedly work in what you do. And you know what? If your account doesn't look as shiny as the person next to you, if your presentation isn't as beautiful, but it's wholehearted, God is delighted in it. We work from grace, not from stress or perfection. Now, I don't know how you feel about what waits for you tomorrow morning or possibly even sooner if you're a shift worker. It might be that you love your work and you're excited and you're raring to go and you're inspired and you can see the change that's happening and you've got vision for it. Brilliant. But it might be, as I found myself many times before, that as Sunday afternoon hits, you just start to feel a bit ill. The end of the weekend comes and you don't know how to face the week ahead of you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I want us to take a moment as we finish to sit in front of God, our line manager, our boss, and acknowledge perhaps for the first time that actually he is our boss during the week. And to ask him to help us understand what that means in every task we face this week. Because when the family of God, knowing that Jesus is their boss and that work is part of what they were created for, goes out and does their work well, the kingdom of God burns through the fallenness of creation. And the light of hope starts to break into a broken world. Who wouldn't want to see that happen? That's what we're called to. That's what we're going to try and do. So I want to invite the band back up and we're going to pray. Um, as the band come up, if, um, please do stand if you, if you want to or you're able to. Um, and we're going to just ask God, um, give to God our work. Ask him to come and help us this week. And trust that he'll do it. Let's pray together. Lord God, I lift before us every one of us here. You know um, our hearts, you know our emotions, you know how we feel about our work. You know if we feel purposeful or if we feel purposeless. God, I pray today as we leave this space of church that we might have moments of knowing that Jesus is our true boss, that our work is good and that we were created to join in with you in stewarding creation. God, spare us on this week in the seen and in the unseen to do good work. And God, in the work that we do, may you be worshipped and may you be noticed by those who don't see you. Make us fruitful labourers for your kingdom here on earth, God. And may we see your kingdom come once more. Amen. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.